0: Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We finished our Daniel series. And the plan is, is next week we're going to resume the Romans uh, series that we were doing. So we paused right, after, in the, right in the middle of Romans and we'll finish that series out. But for this week, we're going to do just a one-off sermon, and uh, this is probably um, one of my favorite examples in Scripture of uh, Mark, uh, one of our gospel writers, just doing really awesome stuff that we don't necessarily pick up on. And uh, it's called a it's called a Mark sandwich, is what some people call it. Okay, so I'm excited to get to read a Mark sandwich with you. But uh, before we begin, a word that two words that are often seen as contradictory to, to each other have been thrown around quite a bit lately. And, um, and so as I was thinking what to preach about, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll just pick that. But often we see fear and faith as two big things in the Bible, big things in our spiritual walk and things that we often see as opposite of each other, fear and faith. Even though the Bible has some weird places where in John it says anyone who has any fear you know, must not have faith in me or does not love me. And then there's other places in the Bible where it says, fear the Lord your God. You know, we have we have these words that are used quite a bit. And we sing about we sing about faith and we hear about having faith and we often see this thing where if you are afraid about something, that must mean you're lacking in the faith department. You must be unqualified to be as you know as as brave, as faithful as some of us. And so today's story, I hope will invite us to see how Christ is able to work with fear and faith at the same time. Christ is able to take all of that and not just exclude one and praise the other, but he's able to work with both at the same time. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter five. Like I said, um, Mark is the first time, when I was in freshman Bible at ACU, Mark was the first time I ever really recognized that the Bible was not just a newspaper man, going to everything Jesus did and writing it down like we see in the newspapers. But we learn, I learned and Mark that the authors are these geniuses, brilliant authors that are doing incredible storytelling with details that we don't realize. And the reason why it's called a Mark Sandwich is because you have this story that is in between another story, like a sandwich, like bread and meat. And as with all good sandwiches, the point is, is that if you just ate a slice of cheese by itself, it'd be meh. Or a slice of ham or turkey by itself, eh. But if you take some bread, which also by itself would not be as exciting, and you add stuff in the middle, it makes all of it better. All of it complements the other pieces, okay? Like an Oreo. I mean, you know, some people commit sacrilege and open Oreos and just lick the inside. Some people, do some people scrape out the inside and just eat the outside? That seems worse. Um, uh, But together, they're better. So we have this story in Mark 5, starting in verse 21, okay? Um, Ryan, I'm going to use my clicker, but if you can tell I'm behind, like go ahead and go there for me, thanks. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. We'll leave it here. We'll leave it here. So this is something I don't think we can quite put into perspective just how much Jairus is putting away his pride in order to do something that would be incredibly not of his station. Okay, This would be like, for example, a prideful minister who's having marriage troubles not being willing to go to a marriage counselor. I'm the minister. I'm supposed to be the one that's got it all figured out. How embarrassing would it be if someone saw me at marriage counseling? and their pride keeps them from doing the thing that would save their marriage. Or it would be the same as a banker whose business, they're about to lose their bank, they're about to go bankrupt, and they have to go to Dave Ramsey's uh, you know, financial university. Okay? It's embarrassing because I'm the one that's supposed to have all this figured out. But what's the thing that compels them despite The preacher with the bad marriage, the banker with the. What's the thing that compels them? A desire to save something. And you see with this story, even though Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, everyone's going to be. Did you see? The head honcho decided to go to Jesus. And not only that, he actually got down on the ground. Incredibly embarrassing for a Middle Eastern, ancient Near Eastern man to do anything like that, to fall on the ground before someone. But what does he have at stake? It's his daughter. You know, Everything is out the window because of his fear of losing his daughter. So he comes to Jesus, pleads with him, and Jesus goes with him. So that's the bread, slice one. Now we're going to get to the middle of the sandwich. "'A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse.' When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. You almost get this idea that she's like, I've, I've done everything. I've tried everything I could possibly try. I've spent all my money. I've gone to every physician. And for her, she's just hoping that if I could just touch his clothes, maybe I would be healed. And you have to imagine, well, we'll see as we keep reading... She is filled with fear because, as we know from that culture in that time period, any woman who is on her bleeding is unclean and has to isolate herself from everyone else. So to risk being caught that she had gone in front of everyone else and been present among all these people was a huge risk that she was taking, something that could get her in big trouble. And so what happens is uh, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed, Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. It's a very interesting way to describe it. You know, almost like, hey, you know, who did that to me? You know, kind of, I don't know. uh, Jesus felt some kinetic energy flow out of him into someone else. And at once, when he realized that the power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, against you, his disciples answered. Like, are you crazy? There's people everywhere. Tons of people are touching you because we're just like sardines in this crowd. You know, of course, this is happening. And yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Um, am I at the right place? Okay, I think I'm at the right place. Hopefully, anyway, Ryan, you run the slides. I won't click anymore. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Why is she afraid? She's afraid because she's prepared, she's prepared to be in big trouble. She comes trembling in fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And you're supposed to get this sense. You're supposed to get this sense that there is suspense in the story. Because what's, how does this with the sandwich how does the story start Jesus my daughter is dying please come so there's an urgency he's got to get there and yet he stops in the middle of everything and you can almost imagine Jairus is like we don't have time for this come on and yet this woman what she does is we know that her life is probably miserable like I can't imagine but I know some of you can imagine that it would be rough to go through this for 12 years physically it would be rough to be seen as a social outcast for 12 years because you're not allowed to be around people and this woman it's a unique story because in some ways this is a story where jesus doesn't initiate the healing she initiates the healing you know jesus is caught off guard who did that and i don't want to necessarily get into all the the details we can talk about it on wednesday night but there's a lot of people that love to engage this idea of like, how fascinating is it that this lady just came up, touched Jesus, and this healing happened? You know, did this happen often? Was Jesus walking around and more people came up and gave him a high five? And were like, oh, I can see, you know, 2020. You know, did people have this experience? And I know we can, we can kind of, I'm joking about it a little bit. But the thing that I think Mark is trying to show you with this story is that he expects and hopes that his readers are going to learn from this woman. In that in this odd mixture she has of being incredibly afraid, fear, and this faith, enough faith to hope that even just a little chance might do something in her life. And this this power that saves her, you know, saves her life, it's it's clearly Jesus's power that's doing it but I think you're supposed to see when he says your faith is the thing that rescued you yes Jesus is the one that has healed her but he's Jesus and Mark are really trying to show you that the thing that made the difference was her faith that something could happen it was the grasp uh, this is one way to say it is it was the grasp of her faith rather than her hand reaching out that secured the healing that she sought her touch had brought together two important elements to this story. Faith and Jesus. And you can ask, wait, was it Jesus that healed her? Was it her faith that healed her? And the answer is yes. It was her reaching out in faith, and it was Jesus being the one that she reached out in faith to that made it effective. And now we learn from the story that Jesus' desire to pause and slow down has proved costly for Jairus. So now we're going to get to the other piece of the sandwich. And as I said, you're supposed to see These stories playing off of each other. Two people in two completely different walks of life. Both people that have fear of their own. Both people that are choosing to make faith choices. So let's read. Where was I? I I think I was in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to him from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They They want you to remember. This guy, you've got this woman who's an outsider, and the synagogue leader who is the insider of insiders. And it says, Your daughter is dead. They said, Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. Now remember, that word in Greek is the same word for faith, just faith. We just don't have a verb for faith. So you should translate that. Don't be afraid, just faith. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kahum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Um, So this story, we get this awesome story, and we see, you know, we've got these people mourning. They've come to terms with this. And Jesus speaks in Aramaic. I think you're supposed to see him speak in Aramaic because probably uh, this scene had such an impact on all the witnesses that people would like remember this phrase, you know what I mean? Like, and, and whenever Mark writes about it, people would be wanting to remember the Aramaic of it rather than translating it into Greek. And so I wanna look at, as I've said before, the point is these stories are supposed to add flavor and spice to each other. So let's look at how these stories are con- connected to each other. And you can, uh, I think Ryan, you can put on the blank slide, perfect. Both stories draw attention to how desperate and how desperation, how desperate each person is, and how that desperation can stoke a fire of I've got to go be around this Jesus guy. We are often in place, we are often in this place in life where we do everything we can not to face desperation. We make sure we have saved enough so we're not desperate financially. We make sure and, and those are smart things, but what I will tell you is sometimes desperation is the thing that leads someone to going after Jesus. The last hope, the only option. Um, We see the comparison. She was bleeding for 12 years. We see this girl is 12 years old. One lady is stopping her bleeding. One is about to start her bleeding. One is just reaching. uh, One is, both of these bodies would be impure to be around a dead body, to be around this woman. Both impure and unclean. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet. The woman fell at Christ's feet whenever she apologizes, fear and trembling. Both are full of fear but act out of trust and faith. Both stories are about these two words, fear and faith, and the power of Jesus to take people from one state to another. His response, fear not only faith, was a call for all of us. It's something you're supposed to see him saying to, to Jairus, but it's a message for all of us. Jairus exercises faith when he comes to Jesus in the confidence that he could save his daughter. The witnesses... He witnesses healing of the daughter which demonstrates this relationship between her faith and this healing. But now he's asked to have faith that this child is going to to live after being dead. And yet he's able to say, you know, he could have easily gone. You know what Jesus really seriously, you don't have to come anymore. But this ability to trust in Jesus in the in the midst of these crisis of where we're absolutely afraid for our lives, we see that is the thing that the story is trying to emphasize. The story is trying to really shed light on these two incredibly afraid people who yet God is still able to move through. So this is what I want you to think about. We think often we are not allowed to progress with Christ until we've figured out our fears. Many people feel like, you know what? I've got fears about all this. Once I figure it out, then I'll come get baptized. That's not what the story shows. Sometimes, our fear is the very thing that leads us to, I've got to come to Jesus. We assume that our fears mean we don't fully trust or fully believe in God. If I'm afraid, does that mean I actually believe? I do think that God wants to constantly move you towards less fear and more faith, but it does not disqualify you from being a follower. We, you know, often, um, in what we see from the synagogue leader, how many of you know someone? Well, I hopefully we know someone maybe it was you one day who you lived a life that looked opposite of your Christian friends and you thought I might want to know about Jesus but everyone is going to just totally be like this is ridiculous this person's not going to be a Christian picture that girl in your high school picture that coworker that you have that lives a life that's not Christian and if they wanted to come to know to Jesus How many of them sadly think, I'm afraid to make that step because of how many people are going to mock me and be like, are you kidding me? Have you seen the way you live? You can't be a Christian. And there's all that fear there. And yet, that might be the very thing that Jesus is saying, no, I I want you to not let that fear be the thing that holds you back. If anything, I I can use that. Faith in Christ, no matter how much fear accompanies it, is the first step in God remaking your life. Faith in Christ, no matter how much fear surrounds it, the willingness to just say, I want to see if Jesus is the answer to this, is the way to move into that new life that Christ has to offer. Both stories are about people with plenty of reasons to doubt and to be afraid, but that we know that they have faith. So the question that the story... It makes me ask, and the story that many of you probably ask, how much faith do we need? How much, and, and you're like, need for what? You know what I'm asking. There's plenty of times where the question is, well, Drew, I, I think I have faith, but how much do I need? And Jesus has a great message about a, a mustard seed. But this story shows us, in my opinion, that the answer is enough faith to step out and touch Jesus, enough to fall on the ground in hope. All of these things, even if it's shrouded in fear. Mark 5 talks about these two major players in our spiritual journey, fear and faith. The fear in the story is not foreign to us. All of us have experienced fear before. I could have started this sermon saying, how many of you are afraid of heights, like me? I could have started this sermon, how many of you are afraid of spiders? All those fears, yeah, they're fears. But you know the real fears. The real fears that we all have of what if, like like the minister trying to save their marriage. That's some real fear of, I'm going to lose my job. People won't see me as credible anymore. I'm afraid. But what has, to, what has to surpass that fear? You have to have just enough desire to save that marriage, to overcome that fear. You following with me? If your fear is this high and your desire to save that thing, your daughter, or to stop bleeding from the story, if your is only this high, you're never going to do it following me? But if your desire to rescue that thing is this high, then that's all it takes to be willing to step out and touch, to fall down and do something about it. To fall down and say, I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to reach out. And the cool thing is, is that the faith in the story is also not foreign to us. The hope that life could be found in something in this story, in someone, in our walk in Jesus. And faith, however much fear and trembling accompany it, is the first sign that you have a desire to remake, to renew, and find this new life that Jesus offers to all of us. The question is, will our faith Will our desire to save that thing, will it be just enough to be willing for us to step out beyond our fears, to fall at Jesus' feet with all our fear, with all of our faith, and let Him be the one that begins the process of moving us from a place dominated by fear to one that is overcome by faith. If any of you are someone that's out there and you've thought, I feel like I spend a good deal of my life living in fear, I have good news for you. You're not disqualified. But Jesus does want you to move from that place to faith. And the good news is he's the one that's going to make it happen. All you have to do is just fall down, reach out, and trust and hope in him. If any of you would like to learn more about that, uh, elders will be standing at the doors. I'll be up front. And if any of you have any prayer requests, something that you'd love for us to be praying about, I'd encourage you to go talk with them as we stand and we sing this song.